Good morning. Good morning. Our God is good, right? Amen? Amen. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Um, like Jeremy said, we are continuing the Feeling Sheepish uh, series this morning. This is week two. Uh, last week, as we talked about Moses, we covered a whole lot of ground, right? A whole lot of ground as, tar- as far as scripture, Moses' whole life. We went back through. There was a lot of storytelling uh, while also reading certain parts of it. Um, and we're not going to go through kind of with that level of things this week. Um, but we are going to jump ahead about 13 or 1400 years from Moses' life. Um, we're not going to cover everything in between. We're just going to jump, okay? Um, to uh, the New Testament, to the end of the Gospel of John. And I mean the very end of the Gospel of John. This is chapter 21. It is the last chapter that John gave us in his Gospel. Um, And so he's kind of wrapping things up. And in that chapter, there is a very uh, cool, interesting uh, interchange between Jesus and Peter. Um, And you probably know where I'm going if you're familiar with uh, any of the Gospels. But I want to start this morning by reading just that section. We're going to do it out of order. It might be confusing. I don't know why I wrote it this way, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to start out with the focus of the story. We're going to see where the sheep thing comes in right away, okay? So John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. And we'll go back, but we're going to start in verse 15 for right now. It says this. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep, or tend my lambs, sorry. And he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Sheepherd and sheep, sheepherd? Shep, sheep, I can't even say it now. I'm just making fun of it. Sheep and shepherds, right? Shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So you have this really interesting interaction between Peter and Jesus. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that passage or not, but it, it, when you first read it, it can be a little confusing if you're just listening and not reading because there's a lot of he saids, right? He said this, and then he said this, and there's no like a specific um, he said, he said. Now, if you're reading it, you can see that it's capitalized and you know who it's talking about. Um, but I think you probably get it, right? Jesus talking to Peter, um, and uh, he's asking Peter if he loves him, Right? And it's not just one time. He asks him three times. And think about that. What would that be like if you went to a loved one and your loved one said, hey, how's it going? Do you love me? I know, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, I love you. Yeah, but do you love me? Yes, I just said I did. Do you love me? All right, what's going on? Right now you're at the level of like, okay, we're not communicating. Something's not happening here. I don't know what's going on, um, but it's hurting me because you're not believing me or you're not convinced that I do. Somehow something is going on. Peter is hurt. Um, And you can kind of see him hanging his head in that like sheepish sort of way, right? Like, yeah, I said I did, right? I said I did. Um, 
So what I want to do this morning, the reason I started out with that is because we can, we can read that and we can get a certain kind of a context by reading those verses, right? But I think if we go back and we broaden our scripture, we can get a little bit of a different context. And so I want to I wanna develop that idea of what, what is actually happening here, or what I feel like is happening here with this interchange, this interaction between Peter and Jesus. Um, but what we have, the larger context is this story or this interaction, this conversation happens after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead, right? Um, so there's been a lot going on with these guys, uh, these disciples, but this conversation happens after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. So it's new covenant time, right? But nobody really knows it because they don't really know what that means. They don't really know, know what's going on. Um, and so what we have is, is these guys, these disciples gather together and they're like, okay, what's next? The first time it's in fear. Um, they're hiding. They're afraid that the Jews are gonna come after them too. Uh, the people who crucified Jesus are coming after them. So they hide in fear. Um, and then Jesus pops in the room right? And then it happens a second time. They're hiding or they're gathered together and they're waiting and Jesus pops in the room. Amazing, right? Um, And so I think that's what we got again, right? These guys are like, okay, now what? Now what? We're we're sitting around, we're waiting. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And they're sitting and they're waiting um, for, for Jesus to show up again, right? Okay, we see, he hasn't given us any instructions. Like we don't know what to do next. Um, and you can't really blame them in this situation because there's been a lot of heavy things that have happened in their lives. They're, they've been totally upended. And now it's like for three years, Jesus has told them what to do. Go here, go to do this, right? Like he's given them the instructions for the life. And all of a sudden he's not there with them in the way that he was. And so there's like a processing or a questioning of, well, I don't know, what next? right? I guess we get together and hang out and hope he shows up again. I don't know. What's next? And so um, they'd been depending on Jesus for this instruction, and now he's not there. And you kind of get in that habit of doing things in a certain way, and when it changes, at first you're not really sure what's going on, right? So there's this pattern then that develops of them getting together, and when we're together, Jesus shows up. Well, maybe that's what we should do, right? He's done it twice before, Maybe there's a formula here. Gather together, Jesus shows up. Gather together, Jesus shows up. Let's do it again, okay? So um, verse 21, or chapter 21, verse one, that's the scenario. They've gathered together and they're waiting for Jesus. I, I mean, I, that's, that's what I gathered from it, right? So verse, uh, verse one, after these things, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're also coming with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Fishing all night, and they caught nothing. Um, And the way I see this going down is they're sitting around waiting, this formula, right? We're gonna wait. Nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And Peter is the first one. He's the impulsive one, which we'll find out later. And he's like, listen, I'm done. I had enough. I gotta go fishing. I gotta go do something. So what does he do? He goes back and he goes fishing, right? I'm going fishing. And the others are like, you know what? Great plan. We don't, 
we don't have anything else to do either. Let's go fishing. And so they all go fishing, and they fished all night, which is when you fished then, right? And they caught nothing, nothing. Um, and as they're catching nothing, I imagine them finishing up for the night. It's early morning. There's a man that walks on the shoreline. He sees him over there. They see him, and he's like, hey, guys, you caught anything? Nope, nothing, all night. Ah, try the other side of the boat. Try the left side. That'll work. That'll fix it. No complaints. All right, they do it. And what happens? Miraculous catch of fish, right? 153 fish after catching zero. All of those times, putting the nets down, bringing it back up, nothing. Put it down, bringing it back up, nothing. And then this guy shows up and he says, hey, put your nets down on the other side of the boat. He doesn't say that. He says, put your nets down again. And they do it. 153 fish in one catch. And it sets some light bulbs off for John, right? John's like, hey, 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 it's him. It's him. And Peter's like, it is him. And impulsive Peter goes, boom, we got to get to him as fast as I possibly can. Get in the water. And he puts his cloak on first. He gets into the water and goes to Jesus. Everybody else is like, yeah we'll get the boats, right? Um, and, and it says they brought the boats. It says they weren't very far out from shore. So I don't imagine Peter diving in. I imagine Peter like jumping off the boat and running, splashing, getting wet. And everybody else is like, you know what? We'll be dry. It's all right. We'll get there. He's not going anywhere. Um, and so they get there, pull the fish ashore. Jesus has built a fire. He cooks them some breakfast, some of the fish. They go get some of the 153 fish. They cook that over the fire. He cooks them some bread. They have a great time. And, uh, and then that is when this conversation happens between Jesus and Peter. After this miracle, right? After this miraculous catch of fish. And you have this conversation then between Jesus and Peter, and he starts off with the question, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't really know what these are, right? Because we have no description of Jesus's motions. Like we have no physical description of what Jesus is doing at that time. Like, do you love me more than the omelets I just made you? Breakfast, right? It wasn't omelets, it was fish. Do you love me more than the, the fish we just ate, right? Or is Jesus saying, do you love me more than, and he points to the other guys, do you love me more than these guys love me? I tend to think Jesus is like, we just caught a bunch of fish, the boats are on the shore, the nets are there, the fish are there, and he goes, Peter, do you love me more than these? Love me more than this stuff, right? Or these things from your former life? Do you love me more than this? And of course, Peter goes, well, yeah. <laughs> more than the nets? Yes, yes. I love you more than the nets, Jesus. Oh, tend my lambs. Okay. What does that mean? Simon, son, John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Hmm. Shepherd my sheep. Why are we talking about sheep? Anybody know? Don't know. We were fishing. Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> yes, Lord, yes. You know everything. Why are you asking me? You know that I love you. Why are you asking that? Of course I love you. And tend my sheep. It's a very dramatic moment, very pointed conversation for Peter to be having. And Peter doesn't know what's going on. I don't believe he does, right? He's just answering the question. He's confused. He's hurt because he's asking three times. All this stuff, right? 
Lord, you know that I love you. Why would you ask me that three times? You know that I love you. Now, usually, or I would say, every time I've heard a sermon on this passage is you can't have the, the, the message without talking about the idea that Jesus is asking Peter, when you look at the Greek, Jesus is asking Peter a very specific kind of love, a question, and Peter is answering with a very different specific way of answering, right? So Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agapo me? Do you love me? Okay, and Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you. Oh, there's a difference, right? Peter, do you agapo me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Peter, do you phileo me? Yes, I phileo you. So there's this difference in the words that Jesus is using. And so it's like, okay, so either Peter is not understanding what Jesus is saying, or he's deliberately not answering in the way that Jesus is asking, or Jesus is trying to get a point across, or something is going on here with those words. But just by that little thing, even without looking at the, what the words means, there is a difference um, in what Jesus is asking and in how Peter is responding, okay? So maybe Peter's not getting it, He's not getting the response. He's not making sense of the interaction, but whatever. Something's happening here, okay? But I don't, I don't think this entire interaction is about those words, okay? I think there's a bigger picture of things happening here. And I think if we just focus on this conversation without looking at the bigger con- context, then we're gonna miss it, okay? So here's what I think it boils down to. It's a very specific conversation between Peter and Jesus, Okay? Very specific uh, instruction from Jesus to Peter. There are a lot of nuanced things when you look at this whole picture of what's happened. There's a lot of things that line up with the other things that Peter has experienced and other things that Jesus has done and other things that Jesus says um, specifically to Peter that are like, okay, there's more than just a do you love me conversation going on here. So Peter and the guys are sitting around, they're waiting for Jesus to come visit them, okay? This thing has happened with the dramatics and the, the, the confusion of the crucifixion, with the joy and the confusion of the resurrection, and now Jesus has appeared to us a couple of times, but now what? Okay, that all happened. We saw it, we witnessed it, we experienced it, but now what? Well, I guess we sit around and we wait, okay? What's next? Now what? And Peter gets tired of waiting. He's exhausted the, his patience, okay? Which may not be very much for an ADHD Peter. I don't, I'm done, okay? I gotta go do something. Might as well go fishing. At least we can make some money. At least we can have some food. At least we have something to do. And these guys are like, yeah, you're right. We're not, it's better than anything, doing anything here, right? So let's go. Let's go fishing. And then this miracle happens which, with this catch of fish. After they say, you know what? I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna go fishing. And this miracle happens, okay? This miraculous catch of fish. Now you, or I know, and you might know, that for some of these guys, this is not the first time this almost exact miracle has happened, okay? This is not the first time they have experienced this. If you look in Luke chapter five, to the very first conversation we have between Peter and Jesus. Now, we don't know if he saw him around, he heard him teaching or whatever, but this is the first interaction we have recorded. From Luke chapter five, in verse three, it says this. 
and he, that's Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. So already this is, this is like pointing to Simon, right? Conversation with, with Peter. That's Simon Peter, same guy. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little distance from the land. And he sat down and he continued teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon responded, master, we've worked hard all night and we caught nothing. We've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let the nets down. And when they had done this, they caught a great quantity of fish and their nets began to tear. And James and John are there, they're Simon's fishing partners and they see it and they're like, oh, oh my goodness, we gotta go help, right? We can't even pull this net in. Nets are tearing because there's so many fish. So they run over there, they help. But it's very familiar, right? Very familiar, very similar experience from Luke chapter five, the very first time Jesus and, and Peter interact and, and uh, John 21, the last time we have recorded that Jesus and Peter interact. Fished all night, catch nothing. Jesus says, try it again and boom, there it is, right? Incredible. <coughs> Peter has seen this. It should be ringing some bells, right? It should be uh, uh, bringing up some memories for them. Reminding them of some things that Jesus has told them. That's what I'm getting at, right? And when you continue on from Luke, in Luke 5, starting in verse 8, it says, but when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because the catch of fish of which they had taken. And likewise, also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were, their, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. In Matthew, we have a version of this where Jesus is walking along this, the Sea of, of Galilee and he sees James and John and he sees Peter there and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? All of these things. So when Peter starts hauling this net full of fish after catching nothing, there should be some stuff going on, his head, going on in his head, right? Some connections that he'd make. I've been here before. I've seen this before. There should be some things going on in Peter's brain. And if there's not things, maybe there's not going in Peter's brain and he's just like overwhelmed by the miracle, but there should be some things going on in our brains as we read this and we know the full story, then there should be some things for us that we're making connections with. Because when you look at it, what's Peter doing? He went fishing, right? Peter went fishing. Why? Because he's tired of waiting. I gotta do something. I don't know. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta do something. I gotta go fishing because he's tired of waiting for Jesus. Is there anything wrong with going fishing? No, I love going fishing, right? I've never done it with a big net, but I love it. For Peter, is there anything wrong with going fishing? No, there's nothing wrong with going fishing for Peter. But what I think Jesus is doing is he is reminding Peter of the last time that they fished all night and they caught nothing. Jesus is saying, remember that? Remember that, Peter? Remember the last time you fished all night and caught nothing and then I showed up and things changed? Remember that? Remember I said, 
come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do you remember that whole thing? Do you remember what I told you? From now on, you will be catching people. Remember that, Simon Peter? What are you doing now? You're fishing for fish. But I said that I would make you fishers of men. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? There's nothing wrong with Peter fishing, okay? The problem is that Peter is fishing for fish because he is waiting on Jesus to show up and do something, okay? He hasn't made the connection yet, or he hasn't understood, and we can't blame him for this, that something has happened, okay? He hasn't made the connection or he's forgotten that Jesus made him a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. Peter's sitting around, nothing's happening. It's all the same. What are we doing? What's happening? Where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? I don't know. All that stuff happened, but now what? It's the same as it was. We're just gonna wait for Jesus. We're just gonna wait for Jesus to show up. Jesus reminding him, no, Peter, that stuff didn't just happen to me. Something major has happened to you, Peter. This kind of fisherman, this kind of fisherman where you use nets and you use boats and you catch fish, that's not who you are now. Tend my sheep, shepherd my flock, feed my lambs. And if the miracle is not enough to remind Jesus, he uses some familiar phrases, right? If you go on and you read after they have this conversation, Jesus continues on and he says, in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put on your belt, put your belt on you and bring you where you do not wanna go. Now, he said this as an indication by what kind of death that he would glorify God. And when he said this, he said to him, follow me. Remember that phrase, Peter? Follow me. I said, follow me. You followed, remember? Move on. Peter has uh, a concern. He's like, okay, all right. Well, all right. Like he's not getting it. And he's, he, I, maybe he gets that he's talking about his death. I don't know, but he's looking back over his shoulder and he sees John walking behind him. He's like, what about him, Jesus? What about him? What about that guy? What, what's gonna happen with him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? You, follow me. Peter, remember, I'm telling you, I'm reminding you, remember of what happened. Are you getting this? Put it all together, Peter. The miracle I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, Peter. You are not a fisher of men or a fisher of fish anymore. You're not a fisherman anymore. I've done something in you. You are not the same. But what about him, Lord? What's about, don't, no, you, Peter, you are not the same. I'm telling you, you are not the same Remember, follow me. You followed, Peter. Remember, follow me. You followed. And now, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, 
you're not the same. I said I would make you a fisher of men. Guess what? Now you're a fisher of men, Peter. Now you are a fisher of men. Do you remember when you responded to the call? Do you remember when I said that the first time? I said that I was gonna make you a fisher of men and I've done it. This fishing for fish thing, it isn't you anymore. I've done it. You went back to fishing for fish because you were waiting for me to do something, but I've done it. I've done it already. As I look at this scripture, I see such a clear message that Jesus is trying to relay to Peter. Peter, it's happened. It's happened, Peter. While you've been sitting around and you've been waiting for something to happen, and because of that, you thought you had to go back to the old stuff to make your living, to to keep your time occupied. You thought you had to go back to the old, same old things because nothing's changed. Peter, it happened. Something's changed. Tend my sheep now. Shepherd my flock now. Feed my lambs. Take care of them. Peter, that is who you are now. That's who you are. And we can make a big deal about the way Jesus interacts with him and we can ask, you know what? Is Jesus like piling on the guilt a little bit? I don't think so at all. I think Peter responds with that. He feels hurt. He feels ashamed. But when Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? Peter is responding, yes, Lord, I love you. You know, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. I know that you love me. But I want you to know that you love me. I want you to know that something has happened. I want you to know that you followed me and and you've been changed. It's happened, Peter. You're a fisher of men now. It has happened. And I love the idea that it's not in scripture, but I love the idea that Peter goes, oh, oh, right? Something clicks in Peter because the next time that we see the disciples gathered is in Acts, the book of Acts, and 120 of them are gathered in a room and guess who stands up and leads the group? It's Peter. He stands up and he says, listen, we've got to decide what to do. Judas is obviously no longer a part of us. We've got to replace him. Peter leads that. He takes care of the sheep. He builds them up. He makes a structure. He divides them out. He says, listen, here's how it's going to be. We've got to find a replacement. And they do. And then a little while later, Peter is the one who stands up after the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. It's Peter that stands up and he preaches and 3,000 people are added to their number in that one single day. 3,000 people born again on reflection, who do you think Peter wants to be? A fisherman who on a good day catches 153 fish or a fisher of men where 3,000 people are born again in one event. Who does Peter want to be? He wants to be who God made him. He wants to be this side of the cross and the resurrection. Peter didn't understand who he was after the resurrection, okay? He did not understand who he was, or he forgot, okay? But he didn't know 
what was going on. And again, you can't blame him. This is happening in real time for them, okay? This has never happened before. We don't know what it meant that Jesus died and he rose again. I mean, I think we know, or he's thinking that, right? They think they knew, but at the same time, they just kind of keep gathering in the rooms and waiting around. They're not doing anything, right? Peter didn't know who he was after the resurrection. And so he's sitting around waiting for Jesus to tell him what to do, where to go, how to live, what to be. Because he thinks that's all there is, right? He thinks that's what we gotta do because that's what we did. So we're gonna wait. I guess I go back and I fill my time with being a fisherman and go catch some fish. I don't know what else to do. But Peter understands now. Jesus lets Peter know he's already done something. I said, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. You followed. I died and rose again. And now you are a fisher of men. Something happened. It happened. It's done. It happened, Peter. As born again believers, it can be very easy to forget who we are, or maybe we don't know. Maybe we heard it, but we don't believe it. Maybe we did believe it, but we don't know it now, or we don't understand, or we forgot. And if we don't know it, we don't believe it, we don't or act according to it, okay? We'll be like Peter, sitting around waiting for Jesus to do something when he's done something. And then we'll find ourselves going back to the old things and fishing, trying to catch fish. Peter still believed in Jesus. He still loved Jesus. But if he was to go back to fishing for fish, rather than walking in the reality of who he was as a fisher of men, and what would, what would he have missed out on? If he would have said, great, you made me a fisher of men, but I'm gonna go back and fish, right? I like fishing. I'm gonna go back and catch some more fish. And I think most of us, for most of us, as we experience Christianity, this is what it looks like, right? Because we're born again, excuse me, before we're born again, before we have an encounter with God or an encounter with Jesus, most people are trying to be good, right? We're just gonna try and live our lives. We're gonna try, do, do what we can. Uh, we're gonna try and, if there is a God, we're gonna try and stay in his good graces based on our own effort and our own behavior. Um, we come up with concepts like karma. If I do more, right, then I have good karma. If I do less, then well, it's gonna be bad. Stuff's gonna come around and get me, right? Because that's who God is. That's the way our mind thinks. Self-effort, what did you do, okay? What are you doing? And we come to Jesus and we're made new in him and we're all about grace and because we can't do it and we don't deserve it and we know that, right? But then a lot of us go back to the old thing again. We go back to the idea that we're living life based on our own ability, 
and God's opinion of us is based on my ability and how good I can be and what I can do and how I can, can grow because I want to make him proud. And so we do good and we be good. We're trying to stay in God's good graces based on our own effort. That's fishing for fish. It's fishing for fish. We've gone back to depending on self. What can I do? To Peter, Jesus said, follow you or follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And then he did it, right? To you, he says, I'll do something new in you. Do not think of the former things. Behold, I'm doing something new. I will take your old heart of stone out of you and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. You will be born of the spirit, not born of flesh and blood. You will walk according to my ways. You will approach the throne of grace with boldness. I will be in you and you in me, just as I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he's done it. He's done it. Don't you remember? Don't you know who you are because of him. Walk according to that. The other thing I see is that when Peter forgot who he was, he brought others with him, fishing, right? Brought other people along with him. Who else was in the room sitting around and waiting when James and John, or excuse me, sitting around waiting with him? It was James and John right? James and John were in there with him, listed specifically. Who else was in the boat or on the lake that day when the first miraculous catch of fish came? James and John, they saw it too. And who said, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, who said, yep, us too? James and John, right? And some other guys who didn't see the first one. Peter's great idea to do something brought other people with him. There are plenty of people out there who do not know who they are in Christ. They're Christians and they do not know who they are in Christ and they are happy to take you fishing with them. They are happy to show you the ways of self-improvement and self-effort, the ways of self-righteousness, depending on what they do and how they do it to bring you closer to the one who's made you new. And it's 100% sincere. They 100% what is best, want what is best for you. But it's 100% because they don't know who they are and they don't know who you are in Christ. If you're following the advice of a Christian friend or a teacher who has the best intentions for you, but it's somebody who is not living according to who they are in Christ, according to the truth and the reality of their righteousness and your righteousness in Christ right now, because of his grace alone, you're just going on a fishing trip. It's back to the same old thing. He has done something in you. Have you been born again? 
Yes, no, yes. Have you been born again? It's up to you, right? It's up to you to say, yes, Lord, make me new and be made new to surrender and allow him to make you new. And if that's happened, then you're new in Christ. Then he is joined with you, living inside of you, speaking to you through the Holy Spirit right now. Are you living in that way or are you convinced that you're a dirty old sinner who can't possibly do anything right and I just hope Jesus will accept me when I get to the pearly gates because I made him proud by what I did? You will have plenty of people who do not understand their identity in Christ who think you should be fishing for fish. But that's not who you are anymore. He has actually literally done something in you. You do not have the old sin nature in you anymore. Now you have the nature of Christ. Live, walk, fly according to that. Grow and mature in that. There's always more to grow in, but it's dependent on him and the spirit that he's placed within you not what you can muster up. So the worship team comes forward. When we first read this uh, conversation between Peter and Jesus, it feels pretty harsh, right? It feels pretty reprimanding. Do you really love me, Peter? We put that in there. It's not in there, but we put the really in there. Do you really love me? Like, I mean, really? You love me more than these? Really, Peter? If you really loved me then, that's how we read it, right? But I don't think that's the tone that Jesus is speaking in at all. I think it's a gentle reminder of Peter, you're something new now. Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. I know. I know, Peter. I know you love me. And because you love me, Peter, I've made you a fisher of men. Now go feed my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. So I know I've shouted a lot today, but take it as a gentle reminder. Do you love him? That's not to make you question. It's not to say, well, I don't know. Do I really love him? What have I, what have I done for him lately, Right? It's not what I'm asking at all. Do you love him? Of course you love him. Then walk in the newness of life that he's created in you. Walk as a son or a daughter of the most high king. Walk according to the spirit rather than the flesh and live knowing that you've been born again. Something has actually happened and I expect things to keep happening. Not sitting around waiting for Jesus to do something, but walking in the knowledge and in the truth that something has happened, that Jesus did something. He accomplished something on the cross and in the resurrection. And now I'm new. Now what do I get to do? Woo! Right? Now how do I get to live life? What does that mean, Lord? Let's go have fun. Let's find out. Right? Live in the newness of who you are. When you said, yes, Lord, I need you. I can't. He said, that's right. I will I did, 
be new, be born spiritually for the very first time. Walk in it. Something has happened. Do you love him? I love him. Then I know something happened. I know something happened. It's an amazing truth. And it's one that we keep coming back to over and over and over and over. And we're gonna keep coming back to it over and over and over because our tendency is to go back to fishing. Our tendency is when we forget who we are to go back to the same old things. And I don't mean sin, I mean self-effort. We go back, right? Peter was providing for himself through fishing. We go back to providing for ourselves. We don't trust his goodness and his grace for us we think we're gonna do something to improve that or increase it. I'm just thankful that it doesn't work. Because <laughs> if it worked, then what did Jesus do, right? Jesus did it, he took care of it. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Lord, I thank you for this group of people who are continuing or maybe just beginning to trust you for your goodness, to trust you for your grace. Lord, you told Peter you would make him a fisher of men. Some of us can't relate to that. So what have you made us, Lord? You've made us new. What does that mean? For Peter, it was tending the sheep. It was shepherding the flock. What's it for me, Lord? What's it for these individuals? God, would you speak clearly? Holy Spirit, move in this place. What does it mean to be new? What does it mean that you've done something, Lord? That had nothing to do with us. Lord, would you increase our trust in who you are? And because we set our minds on you and on things above, Lord, would you increase that in our lives, seeing it, understanding it, making it happen so we can see it, Lord. That as we trust in you, you're doing the fixing and you're doing the maneuvering and you're doing the changing if it needs to happen. We're gonna trust you, Lord. We wanna trust you. We love you. I pray this in your name. Amen.